Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let's read that one more time. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we enter into these new studies and moving ahead at Grace Baptist, Lord, I pray that we'll understand how vital your word is in our work. So Father, help us today in Jesus' name, amen. So I basically have three points today to my sermon And they are the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and the comfort of Scripture. And I'm not going to get through all of it this morning. I'm not really worried about that. But as I'm thinking about, I have all of these different thoughts going through my mind about how important the Word of God is for us. But when you look at the world around us right now, we live in a time of uncertainty and in a time of fear. Would you all agree with that? Stock market going all over the place, the coronavirus. Now, now let me ask you a question. Who would take a cruise on the ship that had just quarantined the coronavirus people? Who would take that cruise? Sam. Okay. You understand. He wants to go on a boat. Just whatever. If I die, I die. Um. I'm gone. My brain's gone now. Thanks, Sam. It's just. Man, don't be afraid of it. Just the the stock market. So what are they? There's 11 deaths. I wonder how many people have already died in the bathtub this year. You know? And again, if I said, how many of you aren't going to take baths? Then I know Sam would raise his hand. Now, for those who have, who have died, and for their families, it's a terribly sad thing. Amen? Terribly sad thing. But, you know, in a, in a nation of 330 million people, there's just no reason for people to be, people to be as fearful as they are. Um, look at a couple of passages with me. Keep your place in Matthew because I want to come back there. But look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, just look in the ch- under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. You can use it. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. The Bible says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Now look at this. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now, how many of you believe that, that, that God really loves you? You really believe that? So if you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, what's the worst thing that can happen through this? You get to go see Jesus. Isn't that the truth? You know, and I know for the young people, you're thinking, man, I want to live. I want to get married. And you've heard me say this, but I used to feel that way. And then I got married and now it's even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> But speaking of Laura, she is, uh, she's not sick. She's visiting her sister in Virginia. So um, you can groan on her behalf at that joke. 
my, one of my favorite stories I tell it every time I read this passage is the Bible college student that, that wanted to use scripture to tell his, his girlfriend he wanted to marry her and he loved her. So he sent her a note and wanted to give her this verse. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. So he wrote that in his note, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. And he said, this verse, if you, th- this passage says everything I feel about you. And so he was so nervous when he wrote it, though, he forgot to put first John and just put John 4.18. So she quickly looked it up, and it's where Jesus said, thou hast had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> it, is, it is so true that the world is just full of fear right now. Fear, anxiety, and there shouldn't be any fear. We should not fear because of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So what have I just done? Go back to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. What have I just done? Look at the verse again. It says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So what have we demonstrated in talking about fear and the fear that has come upon our country and really the the whole world because of this coronavirus, what have we done? If the Bible is our sole authority, if the Bible is where we find comfort, if the Bible is where we find hope, then we've just seen we should not be afraid of this. Do we prepare for it? Yes. What's the best way to prepare for it? I don't know. Wash your hands. What are you going to do? Just get into a compound and have your food delivered? Well, what happens if the person who delivered the food is sick? You know, and to the best of our understanding, what happens when you get this is you get a cough and you feel bad for a couple of days and then you go back to work. Unless you're elderly and have uh, already have a pre-existing respiratory condition, then it becomes serious and we we need to be very careful with those situations. Now, just so you know, That's all that we know about this. And yet people are freaking out. The H1N1 virus, it killed so many more people than this even has the potential to. So we need to think about these things. But what are we looking at? We've just demonstrated how if our authority is the Bible, then we don't fear the future. We trust God for the future. Are you with me on that? And so we live in a world right now Open your Bibles to, I'm going to get to this in a second. Open your Bibles to to Psalm 17, and this is where we're going to be for today. Psalm 17. I'm sorry, it's Psalm 19. I really do know where I'm preaching. As I look out over the religious landscape and you look at the way that the culture is influencing ministry, 
you have all of these terms like intersectionality, critical race theory. And I want to explain a little bit about that as we enter into this study on the scriptures. The song that the Joins family just sang, um, once an enemy, now seated at his table. Remember that line in the song? Jesus, thank you. It doesn't say what race are you before you can come to the table. It doesn't say what gender are you before you can come to the table. It doesn't say what economic class are you in. And listen, it doesn't say that you have to give those things up to come to the table. Just come to the table. You see, the Bible says that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. That's Jew or Gentile. Barbarian. Now, I know as you look around right here, I see some barbarians. But in Christ, you're not that. You're, you've overcome that, Sam. The, your class in Christ, so it's like this. What do you think about white Christianity? There's no such thing. What do you think about black Christianity? What do you think about Asian Christianity? There's no such thing. There's only Christianity. In Christ, we are one. So what's happened in our culture, and especially in this political season, someone's called it nutty season, because, man, the kooks come out of the woodwork. It is crazy, the things that people say. And it's entering into Christianity. I heard... Um, a leader in the, the, he teaches at Southern Seminary in Louisville, the Southern Baptist Seminary, which is a conservative theological seminary. This guy is saying that because of our white privilege, that every time you read a book by an Anglo, that would be a white person, you need to read two by a black person. And here's the thought that I had. I've never considered the race of the author of the book that I'm reading. Just, does this person believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they believe in the authority of Scripture? Do they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do they believe in his soon return? Do they believe in the deity of Christ and the virgin birth? Do they believe in the miracles of the Scripture? Do they believe in the resurrection? Do they believe in those things and God has given them some insight from the Scripture? Then I'm going to read that and be edified by it and filter it through. It'll come through my messages. I've never one time considered the race of the person that I'm reading. Why? It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. But what happened was when Karl Marx, he launched this, this Marxist communist system, he basically broke down all of society into two groups, the bourgeois and the proletariat. And the bourgeois were the wealthy, the proletariat were the poor. And he expected the proletariat to rise up and overthrow the bourgeois. He expected that to happen, and now it never did. Why didn't it? Because the system doesn't work. It's a completely failed system. So in the early part of the 20th century, a man named uh, Antonio Gramsci, he was an Italian Marxist, he really started promoting what's called uh, social Marxism. And where you, what, what that is, is that you have an oppressor and the oppressed. Those are the classes, the oppressor and the oppressed. So women are the majority of people in the world. Did you all know that? There's more women than men, right? So that would make women the minority or the majority? Majority, but 
Now it's not based on that. It's based on power. And because men have the power, women are the oppressed class. That's the oppressor and the oppressed. You have the, the, the homosexuals are oppressed by people who are not homosexual. So they're the oppressed class. You have, depending on the race or the group. And so how many of you have heard that there are new groups now? And you can't keep up with it. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Like on the gender thing, the Bible, if the Bible's our authority, the Bible says male and female created he them. So we know that there are two genders, male and female. And so in this Marxism, it has affected the way that people think in society. So rather than people coming together as a culture or as a church, we're being divided into little groups. And it's so fun to look around Grace Baptist Church. You see people of all different races, all, I think there's only two genders here, but you see all different, you see all different groups of people, but we're all one through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why am I bringing this up? Why is this an issue? Because people are starting to change their presentation of the gospel based on the group they are from or the group they're speaking to. Folks, we can't do that. We can't do it. See, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. The Bible says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The Bible makes it very clear when Jesus Christ was born that it was good tidings which shall be to all people, everyone. The gospel is the same. The message of the gospel must be received in the same way. Regardless of where you live, when you live, who you are, what you identify as, it doesn't matter. The gospel is the same message to everyone. And that has to be our, the Bible has to be our authority on what the gospel is. Um, There was a man named James Hal Cohn. And he launched what's called uh, Black Liberation Theology. And so what he said was he wanted to take the theology of Martin Luther King, but when he looked at Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King didn't focus on his blackness. He said, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to take the blackness of Malcolm X, you know, the black Muslim group. I wanted to take the blackness of Malcolm X and marry that with the Christianity or the theology of Martin Luther King, and that became black liberation theology. But here's the problem with that. Martin Luther King didn't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Didn't believe in those things. So that's the Christianity and then the blackness. Does the Bible say anything about us worshiping God based on our race? It does not. And so what Cohn said, and you can just YouTube it. This is the teaching. He said that that when Jesus died on the cross... What he was doing was identifying with the oppressed class. Well, I suppose that's true. He identified with sinners. But that's not what Cohn means. So what Cohn said was what white people have to do is they, in order to be a Christian, you have to identify with the oppressed classes. 
No, you have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you with me on this? Are you following me? You say, Pastor Jim, why does this matter? Because the Southern Baptist Convention just voted to use that teaching to interpret the gospel. Think about that for a minute. Now, we're an independent Baptist church. We're not a Southern Baptist church. As we say over and over and over and over again, we love everybody and racism is sinful. Right? We're one. We're one in Christ. When people start changing the gospel based on external theories, what they're saying is the Bible is not enough. Listen to what the Bible says. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. See, the simple fact of the matter is we cannot know Christ without the scriptures. What we know about Christ, we know through the scriptures. And we're going to be talking about some of that, but we'll get into more of that this evening. But this morning, what I would like us to do, go to that passage in Psalm 19. And I want you to see a couple of things. Let's look at what the Bible does for us. Psalm 19, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So let's look at the first thing that the Bible says that it does for us. The law of the Lord, verse 7, is perfect, converting the soul. What's that talking about? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So one of the ways that we use the law in evangelism is, so if I were talking to Patrick, Patrick, come on up here and help me out. So the Bible says, thou shalt not lie, bear false witness. Have, have you ever lied? Yes. Often somebody will say no, and you just say, well, there's another one. Right? So you've lied. Yes. Have you ever stolen anything in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had, you know, a, a bad thought, an evil thought? Yeah. So, so basically what, you're, what you've just told me is that you're a lying, stealing, lustful person. Thank you. You can be seated. <laughs> Didn't even do with my message. I just wanted him to admit it. <laughs> no. no, that's the law. And the Bible says that if you violate in one point of the law, you violated it all. And so what should the law do? Convert the soul. Because none of us can keep the law, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and fulfilled the law for us. The Bible says that Christ is the end of the law for us. So what happens by understanding who God is and his prerogatives in my life, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he upholds all things by the word of his power. 
And he has told me that if I want to have forgiveness of sin, it only happens one way. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love it that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. So what happens is the law converts the soul. In other words, before you can get saved, you have to realize you're lost. That's, that's what happens. You, before you realize you need a savior, you need to realize that you're a sinner. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what the Bible does is it helps me know what the gospel is. There's not the oppressors and the oppressed. There's all of us who are sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. Why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. There are no good people. We're all just sinners. We all deserve to go to hell. And Jesus Christ, the very son of God, took on flesh and bones and entered into the world to live a sinless life and to die on that cross. He took on that flesh so it could be pierceable and whippable and so it could be spat upon so he could be buried in that tomb and then three days later rise from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and now he makes intercession for his saints. The only way that I have access to that intercession is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm made aware of that by the law of God. The law of God is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So in the scriptures, what's the difference between the wise and the simple? The wise has received information from God and knows how to make decisions based on that wisdom. The simple has never learned that. Let me give you an example. How many of you know that you have a gas stove and the flame is on? How many of you know not to put your hand in there? How many of you know that? Okay, because you have accumulated some wisdom. Some of these people right here, they may not have accumulated that wisdom yet. Not going to tell me what to do. Boy, you showed me. What does that demonstrate? They're simple. Do you know what we all need to understand? Look at the verse. Verse 7, middle of the verse. The testimony of the Lord is, what's that next word? Sure. Do you believe every word of God? It's sure. It's sure. And as you believe that and imbibe that and incorporate it into your life, now you move from being simple to being wise. I love it. Then look at what it says. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Where does fear come from? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Where does joy come from? Confidence. In the unchangeable word of God. Remember from our study of Philippians, joy is that deep and abiding assurance that regardless of one's circumstances in life, all is well between the believer and his Lord. That righteousness, it re or that, that, that truth, that surety, it rejoices my heart. Man, when we're in pain, when we're in sorrow, when we've lost a loved one, when, when someone is sick, when we lose a job, when we lose a relationship, when those things are going on in our lives and everything, we seem to be on this pitching deck and we have a ship and we don't know where to go. Hopefully it's not a Carnival Cruise Line ship with coronavirus on it. But we're on that ship and we don't know where to go. 
It's wonderful to know that I can run to the surety of the Scripture and find joy in the sure promises of God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's interesting. Purity and light. Purity and light. We live in a world that tries to say that that good is evil and that evil is good. You know, Bill Nye said that uh, teaching your children creation is child abuse. No, teaching them their monkeys is child abuse. If you, if you teach a child that he's an animal, what's he going to behave like? Right? Look, look at the text again. The Bible says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Do you know when a culture starts to fall apart? When people don't know the difference between good and evil. When people don't know the difference between right and wrong. How many of you know that it's wrong to kill children? We know that that's wrong. We know that it's wrong. How do we know that that's wrong? Well, I'm just telling you, God has written that on your hearts. You don't need the Bible to know that that's wrong. According to Romans chapter 2, he's written his law on your hearts. You know that torturing children who can feel pain is wrong. But we live in a culture my goodness, uh, just all the stuff going on at the Supreme Court with the Louisiana case, all that stuff that's going on right now. Do you know what this, you know what our nation needs is a good dose of the pure statutes of God. Now, let me be very clear. There are two tables of the law, Ten Commandments, two tables of the law. The first table is it's man's relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You cannot legislate that. You can't write that into laws because that's between the individual and their God. So if I ask Jeffrey, do you believe in God? Say no. All right, so I'm going to kill you. Either believe or I'm going to kill you. So you got two choices. You can stand on your atheism and say, I'm going to stand on principle, or you can say, I believe. And in your heart, you still don't believe. See, you cannot force someone to believe something against their will. You know, there's... Heard me tell the story about the little boy. His dad said, sit down. No. Sit down. No. Dad went over and sat him down. He looked at his buddy and said, I'm still standing up on the inside. That's why you can't force someone to believe something. And so that's why you cannot enforce that first table of the law. And there's a whole segment of Christianity that wants to do that. So which religion are you going to enforce? Baptist? So if you're not a Baptist, we're going to put you in jail? No. Catholic? If you're not a Catholic, we're going to put you in jail. Presbyterian? You're not a Presbyterian? We're going to put you in jail. No. We believe in individual soul liberty, and because of that, we do not enforce religion by law. The second table we do enforce. That's the relationship of man to man. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Those things ought to be enforced by law. And you understand that in the larger cities, they are not where, where Lydia went to school in Lancaster, where Elena is right now. In Lancaster, under $1,500, they don't arrest you. Is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard? 
And so what happens is because people do not understand God's law, we need a good dose of God's purity for people to understand the significance of private property rights. Without private property rights, you do not have your own individual liberty. I don't have time to go into that more, but that's the foundation of our political theory and economic theory. Then look at what it says. The fear of the Lord, verse 9, is clean, enduring forever. It's clean and it endures forever. See, this is why it can endure forever. Corruption leads to corruption. And because the word of God is absolutely perfect and clean, there's no error, there's no corruption, it can endure forever. I promise you, intersectionality of the Lord doesn't return. And that's that the oppressor and the oppressed philosophy. It's not going to last A culture cannot stand if it's all divided. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Where where do we learn that? From the Bible in the Gettysburg Address. A house divided against itself, it cannot stand. We understand that. And so if we divide people based on, okay, you're tall, you're short, you're white, you're black, you're rich, you're poor, you're smart, you're not. We can't do it. That's not going to last. God's word will. It's our authority. Amen? All right, let's go on. Middle of verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. I love that next word altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Folks, we cannot give up the word of God for money. We can't do it. We, you know, there are, there are people that have left the church because we, we stand on this. Now, let me be clear. Not everyone who leaves Grace Baptist Church is leaving because they want to follow Satan. <laughs> that, that's not it. Grace Baptist isn't for everybody, right? But there, are, there have been people who have left the church because they simply do not agree with what the Bible says. Well, what are we supposed to do on that? Love them? Pray for them, but not change what the Bible says. I had someone years ago when I first came to Grace Baptist. Today is 23 years. Been here for 23 years today. And so I can't remember what message I preached, but somebody left after like my first sermon, a family left, which was just signs of things to come. (laughs) But somebody left after my first sermon. I don't even remember what I said that could be offensive. And listen to what someone said to me. They were good givers. Man, I'm so glad I didn't know that. See, I don't know what you guys give. I don't, you know, maybe for for deacons and for leaders, I look at it. Because how many of you think that a leader in the church ought to be financially supporting the church? Right? But for the rest, I don't have any idea what you guys give. Do you know what that gives me? It gives me liberty to tell you what the Bible says regardless. And see, this is what, that's the attitude that all of us need to have. If my job requires me to do something that violates scripture, well, then I guess I just need to get a different job. Well, what if I have to die because my family starves to death? That's in God's hands. How many of you really believe that? See, we've not really experienced that in the United States in 300 years. It's coming. 
I'm just telling you, young people, you all may have to choose between believing what God has said and being able to eat. Now, how many of you that are kind of my age remember hearing that when you were kids? And I don't know about you guys, but I believed it. I just didn't think it would happen that quickly. When you look at how the world has changed in the last 10 years, think about what's going to happen in the next 10 or 20 if the Lord doesn't return. See, we have to believe what God says and trust him for our eternity and not be willing to give up things for money because look at what the text says. Moreover, or verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Might be financial reward, might not be. You know, the, the name it, claim it, seeker-sensitive churches, they'll tell you, Melody, just name it in Jesus' name and he'll give it to you. I was with some people who believed that, and the guy had a brand new Mercedes. And so I said, in Jesus' name, you're supposed to give me this car. You know, all of a sudden, his belief kind of went away. And I would have really liked to have that car. The Bible says, look, look at what it says again, verse 11. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. When does that reward come? We don't know. We don't know. If you're in a culture that honors the Lord and in an economy based on God's word, the reward can be financial and it can be immediate. If you, those, those poor folks in Ghana, I remember Brother Fagali was talking about he and I ministering there together. Um, those folks, the, the average life expectancy, I think, is 30 because it's filthy. It's filthy. That little shack, there's a ditch, and the ditch is full of raw sewage, and the road is there. And we were talking and witnessing to these people, and they were sitting on the planks over the ditch, dangling their feet in the, in the waste. There's no money. It's like 30% employment there. Not unemployment, employment. What is the financial reward those folks are going to get for serving God? He doesn't promise us financial reward ever. He does not promise us financial reward, but he promises us reward. Do we believe that? Yes. Boy, we got it. We, we have this American prosperous mindset and we, we have this idea that if I have a job, it's because I'm something. And those people in those, those believers, who love God, they're born again, they love God as much as you and I do, maybe more. They don't have jobs. They live every day trying to scrounge up enough to live another day. That's their entire day. Do, does God love them less than us? No. Is this verse true for them? Yes. What does that reward look like? See, we have to get out of our idea of a prosperous culture and move into an idea of a holy, righteous, and just God and say, Lord, you are more to me than my job. You are more to me than my wealth. You are more to me than anything. And when we believe God's word and we ground our life in it, look at what the Bible says, verse 11 again, moreover by them is thy servant warned, 
And in keeping them, there's great reward. Man, I want that reward from God. It might be the reward that we get at the judgment seat of Christ. Then we take that reward and we lay it at Jesus' feet. That'd be worth it, wouldn't it? But the rest of us, we just have to trust him. I hope today, because there are people that are going through things right now that you don't know about, that I don't know about. What I want to tell you is that if you'll believe God, he can give you that joy back. If you believe God, there is reward. If you're not sure whether something's right or wrong, get into God's word. He'll, He'll make you wise. He'll enlighten you. That word is pure. It's true. It endures. You can trust it. And it's the authority. It's the foundation by which we do everything. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. We don't deserve anything except hell. And yet you loved us so much that you wanted to draw us to you.